0: Welcome to Talk the Talk, I'm Bill Newman. And I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And this is our regular Thursday segment on Wednesday (laughs) with Rabbi Justin David. Rabbi, thank you so much for being with us in the studio this morning. We really appreciate it. This is a bittersweet day for me, and I expect that the process for you of leaving Congregation B'nai Israel after being the rabbi there for over two decades, some 21 years, Is bittersweet for you, but you are moving to a new position, a very prestigious and very important one. For those of our listeners who didn't see the piece in the Gazette relatively recently, tell us what your plans are. Mm -hmm.
1: So I'm going to become the dean of the Rabbinical School of Hebrew College in Boston. Uh, Hebrew College is a nationally known uh, rabbinical program that uh, is actually fairly new on the scene. It's been around for about 20 years, for about as long as I've been here and it's quickly emerged as a real national leader in training rabbis. Um, It was established with a couple of different revolutionary aims. One was to um, train rabbis from all Jewish backgrounds and to serve in all the different Jewish movements, so it's not merely tied to one particular movement. So Um,
0: so reform, conservative, orthodox?
1: Not orthodox, although if... Although people who identify as Orthodox are certainly welcome to study and train with us, um, but uh, our graduates come from and um, generally go and serve the range of liberal movements, uh, conservative, reform, reconstructionist, renewal, unaffiliated, uh, and they come from all of those movements. Um, and the other sort of revolutionary aspect about our program is that in addition to the um, Uh, Training and encouraging our students to have a rich Jewish practice We also encourage them to have a rich spiritual practice to be people who pay close attention to their inner lives through the um, Through the lenses of traditional Jewish texts uh, And to do so in a way that really makes use of all the ways in which people are exploring those spiritual practices now So we have a lot of students who have experience and explore meditation and um, movement practices and are encouraged to uh, continue to uh, uh, really deepen those for the purposes of their own sense of well-being and enlightenment and connection.
0: Too. Any connection to what is known as uh, Jewish mysticism?
1: Sure, absolutely. Well, Jewish, so Jewish mysticism is a uh, arguably a 2,000-year-old strain within the tradition, but... Um, particularly over the past 40 50 years or so there's been a revival of, um, of looking to these texts for our own practice and um, and certainly that's that's an active strain. and so we have teachers who uh, continue to um, in, to uh, sort of initiate students into the practice of studying uh, what's called Kabbalah um, texts uh, going back to the 13th century and onward, as well as what we call the neo-Hasidic strain, uh, which are texts and practices that come from the 18th and 19th century and then were revived in the modern period by many people, among them uh, the great philosopher Martin Buber, and um, certainly with the second wave of, um, of the Chavara movement uh, in the late 60s or early 70s, those practices have become, and teachings have become, Um, popular as well, not only in the Hasidic circles in which they originate, but in the sort of contemporary progressive world as well.
0: So Rabbi Justin David, you're the dean. You will be the dean starting, what, July?
1: July, uh, middle of July. And... What will your duties be as the dean of the rabbinical school? Sure. So, um, you know, the dean of a rabbinical school is kind of like the the rabbi of the school in many ways. <laughs> You're uh, going to be
0: a rabbi for a, a lot of rabbis. Oh my goodness!
1: Exactly. You'll probably have a
0: few opinions to, to 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 sort through.
1: Without a doubt, and that is that's both the challenge and the great exhilaration of this position. So, uh, so a large part of my new role will be mentoring. Uh, people who are themselves becoming rabbis. We have about 80 students right now, which is I think among the larger enrollments in the uh, non-Orthodox rabbinical world. Um, so certainly mentoring the students, I'll play a role in admission and in mentoring students towards admission. I'll also be working very closely with the faculty on the ongoing revision of the curriculum. And we have faculty uh, full-time faculty whose expertise ranges in everything from uh, biblical text to Hebrew grammar to Talmud to mysticism to contemporary Jewish life and feminism and gender studies. Um, uh, and, then, uh, and then a part of my uh, position will be about the uh, senior leadership of the organization and doing things that senior leaders do, um, strategy, vision, making the engine run,
0: You'll be leaving Congregation B'nai Israel as a rabbi, as yes. its
1: rabbi, for
0: uh, for this new position after 21 years. That has to feel bittersweet.
1: Absolutely, because um, really the great the great work and the great prize of being the rabbi at CBI for 21 years is the relationships. Um, those relationships on a personal level uh, will continue because uh, my wife and I uh, plan to stay in the community and have. CBI be our home community, um, but I will no longer be the rabbi of CBI. So uh, I won't have that opportunity to develop those relationships in quite the same way. So um, so it, it certainly is bittersweet. There's a lot of love uh, between me and people at CBI, and I have a lot of love for the community. So the love will can will continue, but um, but but being available in that same way to the CBI community will won't be. It'll be different.
0: There is a search, I take it, for... Well, I don't want to call it your... The person who will assume the role of rabbi that you have had. Sure, sure. Because no one's replacing you.
1: Sure. (laughs) Uh, I guess the term is successor. Uh, There's a committee that's figuring that out, and there will be a transition probably for about a year. Uh, But hopefully... um, You know, someone uh, with new ideas and new experience and a fresh approach will come in and work with the great gifts of the community. I'm so fortunate to have two really visionary, incredibly talented colleagues who I work with, uh, Rabbi Jacob Fine and Rabbi Ariella Rosen, who are overseeing the farm work and the education work. Um, They're so capable and so talented, uh, and and we'll see what the new configuration is, and, and whoever comes in will... Uh, really embrace what we've all built together, and we'll have ideas for carrying it forward. And I look forward also to having uh, you know, a new rabbi, a new teacher in the community who I'll learn from. One of the first times that we talked yeah. some
0: two decades ago yeah. uh, was engendered by, precipitated by, hate speech. Hate literature right. that had been distributed around Northampton, right. right, right, right. And the question became, what what ris- the response should be, and right. or should we ignore it? Right. And I encouraged you to take it on head on. Right. And well, you d- and you did.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so, so a little context. Uh, this was the end of my first year, and in the first year, what a person, what what a rabbi is doing is really. You know, you don't have much time to be proactive about anything. You're really getting to know people and reacting to what comes up. And so, um, so it says a lot um, that when this happened, and I reached out to a few senior leaders in the community, and I asked, "Well, who, who should I contact?" They said, "Contact you know, call Bill Newman. Um, you know, he's our ACLU local ACLU person, and he'll have his finger on the pulse." And um, the The wisdom at that time from from national organizations was when these things happen, they're so marginal and they're so rare that um, we should just ignore them because to call attention to them is to give them power. And you bills took the exact opposite approach. You said, no, the the way to deal with this is to stand up, be vocal, and be strong, and show that our community is one that's built on people saying there's no place for this. And that's exactly what we did. And what was amazing was that you told me who to contact. My dear friend Peter Ives, uh, Joe Cummerford, who was the um, at the time the director of um, the uh, American, American Friends, Friends Service Sur- Committee, and he said, "Reach." You said, "Reach out to the interfaith community. Reach out to our mayor, and so we can all come together and say, um, you know, this doesn't belong in our community." And. Um, it was amazing, e- email wasn't as popular then as it is now, so it was just uh, a number of phone calls and people came from out of the woodwork, people who I hadn't even called, didn't even know they existed. Um, tribal leaders um, came out um, to support us and it was really a time of, of community solidarity. So it was really deeply unfortunate that this thing happened and we never, th- thank God we never heard from these people again, but um, it really was this opportunity for our community leaders to come together and say, we stand against this, and thankfully, in the decades ahead, we stood for uh, a lot more things together. I want to give a shout-out to the Reverend Peter Rives,
0: because yeah. Reverend Peter Rives and Rabbi Justin David were on the show, the 9 o'clock show, very early on in our in our programming, yeah. and it was Hanukkah and the Christmas, Christmas. season. Yeah. yeah. And you two didn't know each other, but that show became The Reverend and the Rabbi, mm-hmm. which continues now as Have Faith, yeah. and yeah. you, I, I am so indebted to you for mm-hmm. what you and Peter did for us, for this community, and for this show for years and years and yeah. years and years.
1: Well, I'm gonna tweak that. Peter and I did know each other. Um, we didn't do a whole lot of work together, um, only because, you know, Congregational rabbi and you know, uh, full-on pastor. You know, we we have we had our orbits, but when we did come together, we we certainly had great respect for each other. What we didn't have was the kind of relationship where we saw each other every week and talked every week and strategized and this and that. And that led to just a lovely collaboration and also personal friendship with our families that um, that continues to this day. And I think uh, what I learned. From Peter, which was immense. I mean, he has uh, an upbringing that I never had. Growing up in Maine, the scion of a uh, of a um, ministerial family, and his experiences and what he's done and what he learned from, and you know, um, he he talks about how his father went to the March on Washington, but he didn't, and that not going and seeing his father there and what that meant had just had a profound effect and galvanized him for the rest of his life. Uh, you know, I, I have so much admiration for him as a human being and as a leader, and and to be with him up close was really um, and remains to be a, a great blessing. And to the extent that we could do this in the studio, and uh, over the years, people have told me, you know, we listen to you, and I'm like, really and and um, you know, there's a sign in here. If you could, and I'm looking at it right now. If you could tell 100 residents of Northampton one thing, what what would it be? And that is a, just a profound reminder every time we step into the studio with the limited time that we have, what, what are we going to share? And so to do that with Peter and with you and with Monty all these years was really just a great you know, great blessing, great privilege.
0: Has your being in Northampton, has your being the spiritual leader and the leader of Congregation B'nai Israel, have the events of the last 20 years, all of that together, changed you?
1: Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt and innumerable ways. And um, over the four Saturday mornings um, that that I'm going to be present in June, uh, each of those mornings I'm going to devote a little bit of time to talking about lessons learned. And I know even that will just scratch the surface. But, um, but it's interesting. I mean, uh, before we started, uh, Buzz um, Eisenberg, who's with us today, uh, and you put this article in front of me about how hate crimes are on the rise in Massachusetts, and how the ADL is, show, is has, has, in tracking this is shown. The Anti Defamation yeah, League. Yeah, the the Anti Defamation League. That you know we trail only Texas. Massachusetts trails only Texas in recording the second highest number of white supremacist propaganda incidents. Right, not not incidents with a CE, meaning a percentage, but actual raw numbers of incidents, which I I hadn't realized, um, and I think in a sense this encapsulates um some of some of the change and and the lessons in the urgency when i first started 21 years ago um anti-semitism was seen as uh, a fringe phenomenon that would always be here but really you know didn't reflect the place of jews in society and 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 perhaps reflected an ongoing progressivism, may I say, in where our country was headed. Um, Now we're seeing the opposite, that anti-Semitism on the rise, um, it affects uh, Jewish lives, uh, the sense that, that Jewish people feel about their own lives and communities being under attack, but I think in a broader sense, of course, it reflects both the national hardening the national um, uh, degradation of discourse, which though limited numerically to a few, I think is having an outsize effect on uh, people whose lives can be shaped by the legislation of the powerful and the callous. And I'm talking about people of color, I'm talking about black people, I'm talking about um, people who become pregnant, uh, I'm talking about children, especially vulnerable children, economically vulnerable children. Um, and I think there is a direct correlation, I don't think it's an indirect correlation, between the rise in hate speech hate speech of all kinds affecting different communities differently. Um, even this article uh, links the rise in antisemitism with the rise in hate speech towards the LGBTQ plus community. So I think we have to be even more vigilant, more proactive, and more proactive about forming the relationships across communities now than we were two decades ago.
0: We are speaking with Rabbi Justin David from Congregation B'nai Israel. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about his plans about anti-Semitism in the United States, and I want to hear his views on Israel. He just had a long trip to Israel. We'll be right back.
2: Israel in a land
3: he is calling and preparing his soul. Israel, come back to your home.
4: Coming up right here on WHMP. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it.
5: We have a very unique and lethal combination of emboldened white supremacy in this country and unfettered access
6: to guns. We need to keep talking about the intersection of white supremacy and guns. Guns are used in order to elicit fear and power and control. Uh, By white supremacists, and it's not an issue that's going
4: away easily. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP.
5: What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member
0: Bill Newman. Local farms are welcoming spring to the co-op asparagus popping up and ready to eat in bunches. In the co-op meat department, local chicken from Reed Farm, house-made brats and sausage, everything to kick off grilling season. In the co-op cheese department, welcome the maple season with maple-washed Willoughby, a delicious local cheese washed with Vermont maple liqueur.
5: River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome.
4: It's a grand in the hand on WHMP. Complete rules and details on
1: WHMP.com. The Northampton Community Music Center provides quality, accessible music education to more than 1,000 members of the greater Northampton community. Hi, this is Jason Trotta, Executive Director of the Northampton Community Music Center. Our scholarship fund helps those with limited means, access affordable music instruction, and has never turned away a qualifying applicant in its 33 years of existence. To find out how you can help, please visit our website at ncmc.net.
4: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.
0: We continue our conversation with Rabbi Justin David, who is leaving Congregation B'nai Israel to become the dean of the rabbinical school in Boston. We congratulate him on that new position. We will miss him so much at CBI and his activism in this community. Which brings me back to something I wanted to cover with you, because you were talking, I'd asked you, and you were talking a bit about how you have changed as a person Uh, in terms of your perspectives over the last 21 years that you've been at CBI. And I wonder whether when you came here uh, those two decades plus ago, whether you would have envisioned yourself as being a person on the streets of New York in a demonstration getting arrested in support of progressive causes, or whether that is a reflection of how you have grown and changed.
1: Um, I would say both, Uh, I came in with progressive commitments. I think as a fairly new rabbi um, the question I had was how does one one, um, take a stand without alienating people? And what I learned is that it's not the stand, it's not the stance that alienates people. Some people might be alienated. and in fact, just the opposite, I, had, I felt increasingly that I had an obligation to articulate positions um, that I felt were based on um, not just my faith, but but a reading of the imperatives that come from Jewish tradition. And the way I've always understood it, and this has only deepened over time, is that uh, Jewish tradition, right, in the Torah, and the prophets, among the rabbis, give special consideration to people who are on the outs. Because people who are on the outs, who are disenfranchised, who are oppressed, need special consideration in order to be treated equally, right? So, um, and, and there, there are plenty of examples of this. Uh, on the other side, um, power is, those who hold power are often immune uh, to seeing the effects of their power. So so that's where it comes from. And I think those are concerns that transcend ideology, that transcend politics, that transcend whether or not one calls oneself a progressive or a conservative, a liberal or a Democrat or a Republican, what have you. And so over time, I took increasing confidence, not surety, not you know not, not uh, you know, not necessarily um, ideological surety, but confidence that if I was coming from that place, uh, and that analysis that um, I would be empowered to to speak up, and um, and I, I have. What well, were
0: you arrested for protesting?
1: What's that? What were you arrested for? Uh, not, the, not the charge. So but, but, so there there were there were two two things that I was arrested for. One was uh, with eighteen other rabbis, and this was a, very much a planned action. Arrested in New York for basically blocking traffic, but it was. F- um, to protest uh, Trump's uh, ant, uh, anti-immigration policy and particularly the uh, the ban the ban against um, uh, immigrants from Muslim countries, and that so that was the proximate cause. It was about much more than that, but that was the proximate cause. Uh, a second time, uh, I was arrested along with Peter Ives and I think twelve or thirteen other local activists um, uh, in support of Lucio Perez, uh, who was about to face deportation. Uh, Both those, you know, both those actions were really effective. The second one, much more practically so, because because of our local arrest, uh, it activated our local uh, congressional representatives into actually being vocal about Lucio's case.
8: Bill, I I think when the rabbi goes to become the dean of Hebrew College, we should give him a gift of our business cards.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, well, here's the thing, you know. So, so the, the question came up, well, you know, what's this going to be like at Hebrew College? Um, so if you go on the website of Hebrew College, you'll see that among the pillars of the educational process there are um, engaging students in the question of what does it mean to be um, a social justice leader? What does it mean to dig into these texts and then to take public stands based on them. So I think that's part of our revolutionary approach. When I was coming up, there was a sense that your primary goal is to study the texts and to be aware of sort of the the general ideology of the movement that you come up in. And then when you go out, of course you have to stand for the poor and the oppressed, but you have to do so in a way that keeps everyone together of diverse views. I think the Hebrew college approach is to say, well you know you don't you don't want to be antagonistic to anyone but um, but but the educational goal is to figure out how you embody these texts and their imperatives and act on them right as activists and to tr- and to and and the you know the idea of bringing to be people together not being divisive is you know serves a larger goal of um standing for something
0: well let me ask you this rabbi this is only a you know two or 20 year discussion that I'm about to ask yeah. you to take care of in about two minutes yeah but how will you in your position as Dean at the college uh, address the question of of Israel yeah because that is a very divisive question sure. it divides Jews uh, Jews do not speak per se for Israel but it's an right. important component right. Important constituency. I, I guess what might be fair to ask you to to, to describe briefly is: what's your approach going to be to that? Sure. I know you just got back from a sure. long interview, so, long long trip to Israel. Right. We'll do that in a different interview. But right. your so thoughts?
1: I, I think one one reason why. First of all, I'll just say this generally: all the work I've done at CBI over the over the past twenty one years and the kind of sensibility at CBI has prepared me to the, be the dean of this particular program. And this program um, encourages its students to engage with the complexities of Israel. The complexities, right, not the simplicities, not with, the, with what we think it means ideologically, but with the complexities and to engage with it. So all students spend a year in Israel, uh, there is no party line regarding what they think they should think about Israel, in fact, just the opposite. We want students to explore those complexities. And that's that's what I've done. And, uh, you know, right now, um, you know, we're at a moment in the Jewish world, in the American Jewish world, where there is a broad consensus of American leaders who are pro-democracy and certainly uh, anti uh, what Netanyahu and his coalition partners um, were proposing vis-a-vis judicial reform, you know, a few months ago. Um, that protest has worked. Uh, it's been the on-the-streets protests in Israel have worked, uh, and 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 the support from the diaspora for those demonstrations have worked. Uh, beyond that, um, there are deep questions that actually go back, you know, 175 years to the founding of Zionist thought. That, students are gonna have to wrestle with and have to wrestle with their current realities and the reality and disillusionment of occupation is something students are gonna have to wrestle with. Uh, The place where I've landed is to support the people-to-people efforts among Palestinians and Israelis that are also anti-occupation. So this is not, so there are critics who say, well, talking peace is good, but what about Palestinian rights? What I say is that there are people-to-people efforts that, where Palestinians advocate for their rights, and they partner with Israelis who understand that Palestinian rights are, are necessary for peaceful coexistence. And uh, so organizations such as Combatants for Peace, uh, Breaking the Silence, the Bereaved Parents Circle, um, and, and many other efforts um, are all part of what I and many other people see as of a future, and um, current rabbinical students who are deeply concerned about these issues, when they study in Israel, uh, they learn about these organizations and they uh, may even support them and engage in their own activism around them. Bill, I can say with absolute confidence that Hebrew College has uh, made
8: a very fortunate decision (laughs) for the students who are going to be attending it.
0: Rabbi Justin, David, I appreciate you being with us so much today. I hope even though you won't be with us regularly on The Reverend and the Rabbi, now called Have Faith, that you will visit with us from time to time on the show. Uh, we can do it remotely while you're at Hebrew College, and I really want to thank you for the inspiration that you have been to me and to this community.
1: We are all in your debt. Well, it's, it's a real privilege. It's been a privilege, and uh, we'll remain friends and, uh, and be a delight and a privilege to come back to the show. Thanks so much, Rabbi. We'll be right back.
4: Certainly, we could not make the movie Blazing Saddles in America tonight. So I at least thank the Lord that we have this song. Sending it out tonight to Greg
9: and to Larry.
1: Well, a redneck nerd in a bowling shirt Was a guzzling lone star beard Talking religion and a politics.
4: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.
7: For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Leaders of the Bombeck Center for Arts and Equity and the Florence Congregational Church plan to appeal the Northampton Fire Department's decision to classify their shared church and venue space as a nightclub in order to reopen in time for this weekend. The designation as a nightclub comes with a slew of fire safety and accessibility upgrades, the most urgent of which was installing a sprinkler system. Bombeck's co-founder, Kyle Homestead.
10: This is going to very quickly crush our organization and put an end to Bombek's.
7: Whether Bombex will be allowed to reopen this weekend in time for its scheduled events is unclear. Following the failed East Hampton superintendent search, some residents have officially begun the formal process to recall Chairperson Cynthia Kwasinski. Last Thursday, East Hampton City Clerk Barbara Lombard confirmed she had certified 400 signatures for the effort to move forward. In order for the recall process to continue, they will need to reach 2,517 signatures by June 8th. On the affidavit, some of the listed reasons for the recall include being unresponsive, sending police to someone's home to make a job offer at midnight, unprofessional behavior, meeting minutes made unavailable, and refusing to move to hybrid meetings. Police are investigating after a pedestrian was injured during a hit and run on Damon Road in Northampton around 2 p.m. yesterday afternoon. According to police, the pedestrian was walking along the crosswalk when a truck pulling a landscape trailer hit the pedestrian and left the area. The pedestrian was taken to the hospital and is expected to be okay.
9: Sun cloud mixed today with some showers and thunderstorms arriving after three o'clock a high of 74 to 78 chance for a lingering shower this evening but most of the rain is out of here by eight o'clock clearing overnight a low of 38 to 44 mostly sunny on Thursday a high of 64 to 68 Memorial Day weekend looks dry and mild. I'm 22 news storm team meteorologist Brian Lapis 1015 WHMP.
7: This news update in Spanish is brought to you by our friends at Holy Oak Media.
3: Yo soy Johan Recibeaga con la síntesis informativa de Holy Oak Media. El superintendente de las escuelas públicas de Holyoke, Anthony Soto, fue llamado ante los líderes estatales de educación el martes para brindar una actualización sobre los esfuerzos para sacar al sistema de escuelas públicas de la Ciudad de la Administración Judicial Estatal, en la que ha estado desde 2015. El superintendente Soto describió los cambios positivos en Holyoke durante la última década, incluidas las tasas de graduación, los esfuerzos de rezonificación y un personal más diverso. Sin embargo, la gran pregunta en la mente de todos Sigue sin respuesta. El martes, la reunión de la Junta del Departamento de Educación Primaria y Secundaria presentó a los funcionarios de las escuelas públicas de Holyoke, incluido el superintendente Soto, para obtener actualizaciones sobre el progreso del distrito. Holyoke es uno de los tres distritos actualmente bajo administración judicial estatal y lo ha estado desde 2015 porque el estado creía que el distrito tenía un desempeño críticamente bajo. En la reunión, el superintendente Soto describió varias cifras clave incluidas las tasas de graduación en aumento, las tasas de abandono escolar decrecientes y una mayor participación en cursos avanzados. Pero respecto a la gran pregunta de cuándo el distrito estará fuera de la administración judicial y qué pasos tomará para llegar allí, no hay una respuesta clara. El comisionado Jeffrey Riley también dijo que continuará reuniéndose regularmente con el superintendente Soto, el alcalde Joshua García y los funcionarios de la ciudad para revisar el desempeño. Luego, en 2024-25, se reunirá con funcionarios de la ciudad y del estado para discutir posibles vías de salida. Yo soy Johan Reshi Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP.
7: This news update in Spanish has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media.
0: And this is Cool Films with Larry Hott, who has with him and us in the studio today a very special guest because there's something we want you to know about. Larry. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, everybody else in the room. Chris Ferry
11: is with me. He is the director of the East Hampton Film Festival. Morning, Chris. Good morning. And what is happening tomorrow night?
6: Well, tomorrow night we have our final screening of this season. It's a film called Greyland. And I have seen Greyland, and actually I will
11: be... Speaking or being a panelist, I'll be the sole panelist. <laughs>
6: well, I'll, I'll, I'll be there okay, with you. Okay, the
11: two of us will be the panelists doing the uh, Q&A for Greyland. Uh, the film is phenomenal. And we're going to hear a clip in a minute. I'll just set it up for you. This is a film by a woman named Alexandra Sikot-Levesque. She's from Canada. And I, that struck me. Why would a Canadian come down to Youngstown, Ohio, to make this film? Well, she had been going there for years, and she was getting to know the people, and she realized that Youngstown is sort of symbolic of these rust belt cities that are falling apart and not being repaired. They're all over the country. They're also in Canada, and she wanted to figure out a way to do a portrait of the city, and she did it by just taking two individuals, and curiously, those individuals never meet in this film, but they symbolize two kinds of people who are trying to make it in a city that has lost More than 50% of its population has no economic base anymore because it was a steel town.
0: And what city are we talking about?
11: We're talking about Youngstown, Ohio. So we're going to hear a clip from Greyland.
0: Which is showing, before we do that, showing where and when? Go ahead, Chris.
6: Abandoned Building Brewery, Thursday, tomorrow night at 7 p.m.
0: 7 p.m. tomorrow night, and then there'll be a Q&A with the two of you, uh, Chris Ferry and Larry It's a 77-minute film, not a very long film
11: and then there'll be time for questions and answers with Chris Ferry and me, Larry Hott. Although I didn't make this film, I have seen it, and there's a lot to talk about. So now we're gonna hear a clip.
7: It's the barometer for the nation. We had the most prosperity first, and we had the quickest decline. Everything just kind of falls in line behind us.
2: They're demoing houses every day here. You know, some streets are totally wiped out.
8: I've seen president after president come here, and before they tore the steel mills down, they would all have their photos shot outside the closed, lock the gates of the steel mill. You know, we're gonna bring it back. Nothing.
2: I felt really strange about not going to school or, like, have, like sharing that experience. I remember feeling like a
8: serious disconnect with everyone. I got pretty heavily involved in in harder drugs for a while.
7: If I was going to live here, I wasn't gonna think of it as I was stuck here and I was gonna do all I could to embrace the city and make change and be a part of that comeback.
8: People are like, we're saved. It's gonna change everything. It's gonna happen. So
11: what the woman Amber, was 27 years old at the time of that filming, is saying she wants to be part of the comeback of the city. Will Youngstown, Ohio, come back? Chris, what struck you about this film? Why did you choose this film for the festival?
6: Well, Youngstown, as depicted in this film, really reminds me a lot of the town I grew up in, which is Parkersburg, West Virginia. And half of the film is a ghost town. It's really remarkable. Half of the town,
11: not the film. I think. <laughs> half of the
6: town. And, and so it was super familiar to me seeing these people navigating life in this place. And, and that you just keep, I, I just kept thinking, what happened? What do we do about this?
11: Yeah, in some places it looks like a bomb went off. They are, there's arson after arson. Uh, and there's only two characters in this film. And curiously, they don't know each other. And at the end of the film, I realized, wait a second, we've just seen two people who do not interact. Usually in a film like this, that there's two characters sometime when they come together. But no, they're just completely separate. And uh, there's a man named Rocco sort of in his mid-30s. He's a musician. He's had a lot of trouble in his life. He's trying to make it in this dying town, and he sets up a a curiosity store, Curios, antiques, collectibles, called Greyland, hence the title of the film. And Amber, who at the beginning of the film, the film goes on for many years, actually. uh, She's a young woman with a child, and she wants to get on the city council, and she wants to make something work in the town. And over time, we start to learn their backstories, and also what happened to Youngstown and does it have any chance of surviving? What else struck you about the film, Chris?
6: Well, technically, I mean, it's beautifully shot. It, it, the pacing and all of the technical elements, it's, it's just a really masterfully made movie. But I thought folks in this area would resonate with it because there is a, you know, there's a social and political consciousness to it that I think chimes with some of the, you know, activism and stuff I, I see around here.
11: We're showing the film tomorrow night. Thursday night at 7 o'clock in the abandoned brewery in East Hampton. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the abandoned brewery <laughs> in, in a factory building <laughs> that was formerly abandoned. And what we're seeing in the film is a lot of abandoned buildings. And East Hampton very well could have been like Youngstown. In fact, our entire valley lost a lot of its uh, industry, the, the gun industry, the uh, precision manufacturing industry, cutlery Uh, We're lucky because we have a different kind of economy, but Youngstown, Ohio, doesn't have that cushioning effect from the universities around it. Uh, What I wanted to ask you about this: what do you, what do you make of the life of Amber in this film? We see her uh, actually move out. uh, I don't want to give away too much, but she's trying to restore a house, but she can't make it.
6: Right, and she really goes all in. You know, I mean, she does sort of everything that we're taught we're supposed to do. You know, show up, invest of yourself, give it your all. And she just meets resistance after resistance. Uh, so, again, I don't, I don't want to give too much away, but it, it's uh, eye-opening. What she, The well, point that stays with me is that she
11: buys this beautiful house, just, just a few years ago, for $2,700. Mm. That gives you a sense of what the property values are like in Youngstown, Ohio.
8: Dusty arson.
11: That's, yes. Well, when you, when you, you know, they talk, talk about missing teeth. Right? It looks like a mouth with missing teeth. All through Youngstown, Ohio, you see these buildings that have been burned and then razed. So they just have empty plots, nothing else there. And the other character is a musician. And what the filmmaker does brilliantly is uses his music as a soundtrack many times throughout the film. So it's not some kind of obscure soundtrack that just padding in the background. It
6: relates
0: very much to the production. So Chris Ferry, who is the director of the East Hampton Film Festival, which has been going on for how long now, this year?
6: Just the second year, but we started on May 12th.
0: And this is, the, how many films did you show? 30. Wow. And this film, again, give us the title, give us the where and it is, where's. It's called Grayland. It's a
11: 77-minute film. It will be showing as part of the East Hampton Film Festival tomorrow night, Thursday at 7 p.m. at the Abandoned Brewery, which is behind... Eastworks, Works? Is that right? The right? Abandoned right. Brewery
6: bu- Building. Building. Abandoned yeah. Building Brewery. Abandoned <laughs> Building Brewery. There we
0: go. <laughs>
11: abandoned Building Brewery at 7 o'clock, and then Chris and I will lead a talk back after the showing of the film.
0: And you do, Larry Hart, highly recommend this film. I do. I
11: think it's a beautiful film, incredibly well constructed, a difficult film to make, and that the filmmaker pulled this off with only two major characters about a city that is falling apart. Uh, it's astounding how, how compelling the film is. And when it
0: was over, all I wanted to do was find somebody to talk to about it. Which you can do at the Q&A tomorrow night. Again, the filming, the showtime is? 7 p.m. At the abandoned building brewery in East Hampton. Okay. Thank you both so very much. Larry hot, Chris Ferry. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Buzz. <laughs>
4: this is talk the talk with bill newman and buzz Eisenberg. it's the all-new western mass business show with local dynamo tara brewster saturdays at 11 and sundays at 2.
2: brought to you by realtor craig della Pena.
4: over 18 years experience selling valley homes within 10 blocks of rail trails near parks and other conservation areas or antique and historic houses contact craig at NorthamptonRealtor.com slash innovator the western mass business show with Tara Brewster, only on WHMP.
0: Oh, the places you'll go. This Dr. Seuss book might be the quintessential graduation gift,
8: Broadside has it, plus other books for grads. Like What Now by Ann Patchett, Navigate Your Stars by Jesmyn Ward. Toni Morrison's The Source of Self-Regard, Selected Essays,
0: Speeches, and Meditations. Browse Broadside Bookshop for inspiring books for graduates. How about Devotions, The Selected Poems of Mary Oliver? How about Rough Sleepers by Tracy Kidder? Or Cheryl Strayed's Tiny Beautiful Things. Browse Broadside, buy a book for a grad. Come on over to the co-op. Greenfield
10: Cooperative Bank. At Greenfield Cooperative Bank, it pays to get pre-approved. If you're looking to buy a home, right now is the perfect time to save up to $1,250 on your mortgage closing costs. We make it easy to apply online at bestlocalbank.com or at any of our branch locations. Our local experienced mortgage team is happy to walk you through the process so you can get in your new home as quickly and as easily as possible. So apply online or come see us in person and receive a $750 closing credit plus an additional $500 when we pre-approve you. Close by September 30th a new first-time mortgage customer or refinance from another loan provider minimum $100,000 loan subject to change or end without notice other conditions apply see bank for details Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender member FDIC member DIF You can count on your friends at
3: the co-op
0: And we are here with sex, sex educator, Dr. Jane Fleischman. This is our regular segment, Sex Matters. So, Dr. Fleischman, I pose to you the question that I always dread. <laughs>
8: <laughs> what, are oh, gonna, yeah. what are we going to talk about this
12: <laughs>
0: month?
8: <laughs> Bill,
12: you're going to be so excited. And so are you, Buzz. May is Masturbation Month. Hey vey. So happy masturbation, everyone. We only have eight more days to enjoy it, so let's get started. <laughs> By the way, Buzz, you have the perfect name for this show today.
8: Why is that? Buzz. Oh, okay. like a vibrator sound. I, I get it.
12: You know, um, I just want to start on a very serious note. Do you know Reverend Jason Graber? Have you talked about him yet? He's this... Uh, insane minister from the Shure Foundation Baptist Church in Spokane, which has only been in existence since 2018, he's preaching against parents of trans kids. This is what he said last week. Any parent that would do that to their child should just get shot in the back of the head, and then we can string them up from a bridge.
8: There's a message from God, huh?
12: (laughs) So, you know, after the Dobbs decision last year, and then all this anti-trans legislation, and then this guy... I just feel like, what is this, The Handmaid's Tale? I mean, I couldn't even watch this show, let alone like be in this world right now. So you know what? If you're like me and you're having trouble sifting through all this negative hatred and calls for violence, let's take a moment out from our day, Bill and Buzz, and talk about masturbation. <laughs> okay, Sure. <laughs> So, a few years ago, I started collecting words. So, you want to hear some of the words that I. Not heard? really. Okay. Well, here we go, Buzz. I'll tell you. Okay. So, whether you call it jerking off, jacking off, whacking off, playing with yourself, bashing the candle, beating the meat, bopping the baloney, that doesn't sound very kosher, burping the worm, choking the chicken, cleaning your rifle, corking the bat, cranking the shank, cuffing the carrot, buffing the banana, flogging the log, Flute solo, jerk in the... Buzz, jerkin. just tell
8: me, is this is this ever going to end? Spanking
0: the monkey. <laughs> I
12: don't think so, because I think this started the in a, started in
8: a locker room in Atlanta, Georgia.
12: Really, teasing the weasel, whipping the willy, waxing the... Okay, <laughs> hand-to-gland combat. They're so penis-oriented, so I had to look up some other ones. So how about these, for those of us without a penis? Having a night in with the girls. Airing the orchid auditioning the finger puppets, hitchhiking south, jilling off, pearl fishing, rolling the dough, taking a self-guided tuna boat tour, tiptoeing through the two lips, get it, two lips, (laughs) taco handshake, playing the clitar, shucking the oyster. I love that one. Pressing the escape button, tapping the K, cleaning your fingers, and my favorite, the two-finger tango. Whatever you call self-stimulation, Bill, or buzz, or pleasuring yourself, What does masturbation conjure up in your mind when you think about it?
8: I'm going to go blind.
12: Oh, exactly where I was going. What about you, Bill?
8: Oh, I think
0: it takes me back to uh, camp where some counselor said, and we can tell if you're doing this because if you do, you'll have hair on your hands. And everyone looked at their hands. (laughs)
8: Exactly. Actually, it it brings me back to Billy Crystal's famous comment where he said uh, in 12th grade he had a wonderful picture of his right hand in his wallet.
12: (laughs) (laughs) Acne, it could cause your penis to shrink, make you go insane, cause cancer, make you sterile, turn you into pervert. Well, I guess we're too far along for that at this point. Give you a sexually transmitted infection. It's a stepping stone to homosexuality could hinder your social-emotional development, or is it a case for infidelity? So remember, lots of myths out there. None of these are true. just want to say it one more time. They're not true. And you know, when Betty Dodson wrote her great book, Sex for One, she talked about masturbation as solo sex, which is a great term, right? But I believe you don't have to just practice masturbation when you're alone or when you're between your partners or when your partner is too tired, to wake up, right? It can be done within your sexual play at any time. It could be a wonderful addition. And so I wanted to ask you to, Bill, don't worry. These are rhetorical questions that you do Thank not have to answer. Thank God. This is
0: not multiple choice, and there's not fill in the blank. There's okay, no great. But I am taking notes.
12: Good, I hope so. <laughs> taking notes. Anyway, the, um, the questions are really for your listeners. You know, What is masturbation? How does it fit in with your sexual practice, and what does it mean to you and to your partner or your partners, and what's it feel like when you can't sleep and you want to relax? Did you know that when you have an orgasm, no matter how you come by it, sorry, I have a lot of puns today, it releases oxytocin, which is also a a neurotransmitter, a hormone that we call the cuddle hormone, and also the orgasm in turn lowers your levels of cortisol, which are your stress hormones. And higher oxytocin levels induce not only a nice feeling of sleep, but also a feeling of well-being and joy. That kind of, ah, maybe people in the past would say, ah, I'd love to have a cigarette. You know, that, that's just that feeling of total relaxation. It also...
0: I haven't smoked in 40 years, but I, right <laughs> now I'd like a cigarette.
12: <laughs> you also release a hormone called prolactin which causes stem cells in your brain to develop new neurons. So not only is sex not with yourself not bad for you, it's good for you and it's good for your brain. Amazing, right? So here's what I'm thinking. If you're thinking now like like Bill is, gee, maybe this is not so bad. This doesn't sound so bad. You know, there's all sorts of toys that you could use. There's all sorts of stuff in your kitchen drawer that you could use. There's lots of possibilities that you can um, really have fun whatever way you call masturbation or solo sex. And so if you're with your partner or or, or you're by yourself, remember that there's lots of ways that you can enjoy it. But have a conversation first because sometimes if you've been with a partner a long time and you've never masturbated in front of them, they might be a little bit nervous, okay? So have a conversation. That's not so hard, right, Buzz? For Conversations
8: you? are good. Conversations are How easy. How about you,
12: Bill? Conversations?
8: I believe in conversation.
12: Okay. and communication works. communication, so also
8: good. Right. So Dr. Jane Fleischman, who dubbed May Masturbation Month?
12: Gee, I, w- I wish it was me, because I would have been so excited. I have no idea. That's such a good question. Betty Dodson is known as the mother of masturbation. I mean, she died a few years ago, and she was amazing, but... I must say you know in my field we take this month very seriously
0: so sex educators actually focus on May oh yeah, yeah, in, yeah. In, in this in this way well there's
12: two different things about May one is sexual assault awareness month and then it's masturbation month and I thought it'd be
8: more fun to do well I'm just asking today. because in, in in all faiths that I know of mm-hmm. you know May is the time of rebirth it's right. a time of spring right. Uh, right. and I'm wondering whether that was chosen. Now, obviously, some of those people you started talking about would say, may not.
12: Yeah, may (laughs) not. Very good, Buzz. But I also wanted to remind you, if you're using any sex toys for masturbation or with your partner, don't share, okay? Clean them well. Keep a condom on if you're going to have somebody else use them. But really, some of these are costly. So look in your kitchen drawer. It's okay with me. Wash carefully. And remember, be smart, be safe, and have
8: a great time. Happy Masturbation Month. This has been Sex
0: Matters with our show's resident sexologist, Dr. Jane Fleischman. Thank you, I think, very much. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having
12: me. I'll see you next month. Who knows what we're going to talk about. i just (laughs) hope my kids
0: weren't listening. That's all.
12: (laughs) You did fine. You did fine.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much, Dr. Fleischman.
4: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP.
5: What's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.?
10: Is this week's Shop Friday local burgers and fries?
5: Correct! They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Full value gift certificates and you save 30%.
10: Local burgers and fries on the corner in Northampton on the main Dragon Keen plus local Burgie. burgers and barbecue in Williamsburg.
5: Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at WHMP.com.
10: Here's a slice of advice about pizza boxes. It's okay to recycle the entire pizza box as long as it's empty. For a long time, creasy boxes were assumed to cause recycling problems, but a new study proved they don't. It's time to capture the 3 billion pizza boxes used annually in the U.S. Visit RecycleSmartMA.org to learn more about what can and can't get recycled. After you've enjoyed tonight's pizza, turn the box inside out, discard what falls out, and recycle the rest. Brought to you by the Northampton DPW. HMP
4: Northampton and W-R-S-I-HD2, Turner's Falls, WHMP.com, a Northampton Radio Group station.
7: It's 10 o'clock.
10: Very sad. We are going to have deja vu. Berlinda Ariola lost her 10-year-old granddaughter, Joe Garza. Mercedes Salas taught fourth grade at Robb Elementary in a classroom across the hallway from the massacre.
7: Every day I wake up, I wake up thinking of them. I pray for them.
10: while Rizzo lost a niece. He spent Tuesday at the state capitol fighting
0: for gun reform. Our justice is to make changes at all levels to prevent another Uvalde.
5: Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has made it clear he intends to run for the Republican presidential nomination. We're proud of what we've accomplished in Florida, but I can tell you this, I have only begun to fight. Later today, he will make it official in a live Twitter forum alongside the platform's CEO, Elon Musk. Lawmakers in South Carolina have passed a six-week abortion ban. Republican State Senator Shane Massey predicts...
10: There's going to be a court challenge, and, uh, you know, we've tried very hard to put language in this legislation that responds to the justices' concerns.
5: Governor has promised to sign the new law as soon as possible. Shoppers will have to do some searching to find new trans-friendly clothing at Target. CBS's Jennifer Kuiper. Target says it has moved its Pride merchandise from the front of the stores to the back in some southern stores after confrontations and backlash. One of the items that has attracted the most attention are certain women's bathing suits that can be worn by trans women who have not had gender-affirming operations. There are also kids' versions of those swimsuits. Some angry customers have knocked down the Pride merch displays and threatened employees. Russia claims it has crushed a daring attack on territory that originated in northeastern Ukraine. Correspondent Deborah Pata reports.
3: The group claiming responsibility, the Free Russia Legion, a pro-Ukrainian-Russian defectors and volunteers
5: who joined forces with another anti-Kremlin group. The Kremlin claims they used machine guns, artillery and drones. A super typhoon has swept across the northern tip of Guam. The National Weather Service says it's pummeled the U.S. territory with high winds, heavy rains and dangerous storm surge. Officials there had been bracing for blown out walls, ruptured fuel storage tanks and overturned cars. The Dow is down 198 points, S&P off 28. This is CBS News.
4: Need to hire quality candidates fast? You need Indeed. Their powerful hiring platform helps you attract, interview, and hire candidates all in one place. Visit Indeed.com credit.
10: Have you Googled yourself lately? Are there negative posts from an ex-employee or from a former client? Maybe an outdated news article? or sensitive personal information about your family. Search engines don't always get it right. For right or wrong, it's your reputation on the line. That's where Reputation Defender by Norton comes in, one of the most trusted names in online reputation repair. Reputation Defender has been fixing people's search results for over 15 years. Their cutting-edge approaches help you to wipe away unwanted information in your search results. They also promote the good stuff so that it rises to the top helping you put your best foot forward. Your good name is too valuable to leave to the whims of a Google algorithm. Take control with Reputation Defender. You can start by getting your free Reputation Report Card at reputationdefender.com or call 800-401-6681 to speak to an expert. That's 800-401-6681.
5: A Grammy-winning musician is dealing with the sounds of silence. Hello, darkness, my old friend.
10: Paul Simon tells a British newspaper he lost most of the hearing in his left ear while recording his new album, which came out this month. The 81-year-old legend says it likely means his live performance days are over. Simon tells the Sunday Times the condition has left him frustrated. For WHMP News,
7: I'm Jess Tyler. Leaders of the Bombex Center for Arts and Equity and the Florence Congregational Church plan to appeal the Northampton Fire Department's decision to classify their shared church and venue space as a nightclub in order to reopen in time for this weekend. The designation as a nightclub comes with a slew of fire safety and accessibility upgrades, the most urgent of which was installing a sprinkler system. Bombeck's co-founder, Kyle Homestead.
10: This is going to very quickly crush our organization and put an end to Bombeck's.
7: Whether Bombex will be allowed to reopen this weekend in time for its scheduled events is unclear. Following the failed East Hampton superintendent search, some residents have officially begun the formal process to recall Chairperson Cynthia Kwasinski. Last Thursday, East Hampton City Clerk Barbara Lombard confirmed she had certified 400 signatures for the effort to move forward. In order for the recall process to continue, they will need to reach 2,517 signatures by June 8th. On the affidavit, some of the listed reasons for the recall include being unresponsive, sending police to someone's home to make a job offer at midnight, unprofessional behavior, meeting minutes made unavailable, and refusing to move to hybrid meetings. Police are investigating after a pedestrian was injured during a hit and run on Damon Road in Northampton around 2 p.m. yesterday afternoon. According to police, the pedestrian was walking along the crosswalk when a truck pulling a landscape trailer hit the pedestrian and left the area. The pedestrian was taken to the hospital and is expected to be okay.
9: Sun cloud mixed today with some showers and thunderstorms arriving after three o'clock a high of 74 to 78 chance for a lingering shower this evening but most of the rain is out of here by 8 o'clock clearing overnight a low of 38 to 44 mostly sunny on Thursday a high of 64 to 68 Memorial Day weekend looks dry and mild I'm 22 News Storm Team meteorologist Brian Lapis 1015 WHMP
4: This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP.
8: And welcome to our show. I am Buzz Eisenberg. I'm Bill Newman. And with us uh, today uh, is a fellow who speaks for the Connecticut River, that precious resource that we all rely on, that uh, so many species rely on, of flora and fauna. And uh, it is uh, continues to be threatened by First Lights, Northfield Mountain Pumped Storage Station. There's going to be a rally this Saturday at 2 p.m. Uh, by the Connecticut River Defenders, and here to talk with us about it once again, the Lorax for the Connecticut River, member of Society of Environmental Journalists, Carl Meyer. Hello, Carl. Hello,
13: Buzz. Hi, Bill. Hey, Carl. Great Great we to should. Be here. We
0: should note for our listeners who have heard this before that we did have cover the proposed or the planned uh, demonstration, which was then postponed because of inclement weather. So if this
8: sounds a bit familiar to some of you who are listening, it should. It should, but there also have been some developments that have happened since we uh, had the defenders on to discuss that uh, planned rally. Again, the rally is going to take place now this Saturday at 2 p.m., but... Carl, uh, you've been writing about this obedience clause. Let's start there. What is that about?
13: All right. Let's, um, I'm going to jump right in. The obedience clause, um, First Light, is owned by Public Sector Pension Investments of Canada, part of the Treasury Board of Canada, and they bought First Light's Northfield and Turner's Falls plants in 2016, promptly moved them into Delaware uh, tax havens in 2018, the license for them to operate expired in 2018, so it's now 2023. So that's five years beyond the license expiration. And this is to relicense, and in particular, my interest has always been the Northfield Mountain Pump Storage Station because it is hands down the most, the deadliest machine ever installed on the Connecticut River. It is a net power loss machine that first ran on the excess nuclear power of. The Vermont Yankee Nuclear Station, it now today runs on the not excess uh, power grid um, ISO New England natural gas that is killing the climate. Sixty percent of the grid now runs on natural gas. And Northfield runs off of that. It's literally a machine. It is an electric toilet that kills virtually everything that it sucks in to reproduce net loss energy and kill a river.
8: And whether or not that operation is relicensed is going to be determined by the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, we call it FERC, and part of your obedience clause, uh, the message that you want to get out is what?
13: Well, it's about the grimmest thing that I have ever seen, and and even, even uh, federal and state biologists sort of understand this. And this has been signed by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, National Marine Fisheries, Mass Division of Fish and Wildlife, and virtually all the towns and these recreation sort of uh, kayak and and uh, rafting organizations, and essentially what it is was that First Light, basically PSP, who's got a, you know a, a DC law firm, and they have they're they're like a forty billion dollar transnational corporation from Canada at this point, virtually bullied everybody into signing this comprehensive agreement, which. <laughs> Which is a, a, an absolute death sentence for the Connecticut River ecosystem. And let me say what is, what, let me s- just quote it. Can I quote it here? It's, this is what they signed. These are our federal agencies acting on behalf of what is essentially a Canadian uh, venture capital place. Okay. Upon notification by first light of the need, therefore, the other parties, and that's everybody I mentioned, shall provide written communications and this is parentheses, or orally in the event written communication is impossible to obtain due to reasons outside a party's control, of support in any administrative approval process that may be required for implementation of this settlement agreement or related articles of the new project licenses subject to available party resources and regulatory party authority And policy, and that is shackling the Connecticut River to 50 more years of this obscene chaos that Northfield and Uh, this is what has been
0: demanded Okay, let's let's stop there for one second Obscene chaos in Northfield, what does this pump station do? Where is it? And why is it? And then we'll go to what they're asking for, which is a 50-year license renewal to continue doing what they're doing. But for those of our listeners who don't know what the
13: Northfield pump station is tell us. All right Picture an electric toilet, okay? And, and the toilet bowl is a, the 20 miles of Connecticut River between the Vernon Dam and the Turner's Falls Dam. And that is basically the, the flush sink and bowl for the Northfield Mountain Pub Storage Station, which was hacked out of the top of Northfield Mountain in Northfield, Massachusetts in the late 1960s. It didn't open, actually, until 1973. And the
8: ostensible reasoning, what people were led to believe is that it's going to be a hydroelectric generating plant. That is, instead of relying on nuclear power or on fossil fuels, it's going to be the river itself, which is going to be providing the electrons necessary to feed our grid,
13: right? That's what people were led to believe and are still sort of in belief. But the, the truth of the matter, it is a money-making machine that produces energy twice. It only needs to be produced once. And it was built to run off the excess night energy of the Vermont Yankee nuclear plant. They virtually were built at the same time, right? So it basically turned what was extra, what was a glut of energy that we never needed and we never should have had VY, which closed in 2014. It was a way to pull some more money Vermont out of it. Yankee. Yes.
8: So instead of tapping onto a huge waterfall where the power of the falling water turns turbines, which then generate
13: electricity, how does this one work? Oh, Buzz, you are getting this these days. I, I love it. Um, this, like I said, an electric toilet. This is an anti-gravity machine, right? It sucks water out of that 20-mile basin at 15,000 cubic feet per second, which is the equivalent of approximately seven or eight three-bedroom homes every second for hours at a time, killing virtually everything that goes up in those, those houses filled with aquatic life from fish eggs to larvae to juveniles to adult fish every day of the year okay and when it spits when it, when it sucks okay it sucks and I, I have a i have a little diagram here from the federal licensing it's Commission. actually a photograph it, and, it, it, and
8: it it depicts water going in the opposite direction than the current.
13: It virtually halts the Connecticut river, and at times, at 15,000 cubic feet per second, we know at a minimum, it sucks this river backwards for three miles, okay? It virtually halts a living river, interrupts its natural flow and rhythm, and sucks it backwards, which I contend actually is, is a taking of our river— but in turn, it's killing everything that goes that way. And when it spits out at an even more preposterous 20,000 cubic feet per second, it actually pushes the river upstream towards Vermont and New Hampshire in, a, in another in another sort of brutal way. And, and it, it virtually erases the, the, the biological and physical functions of a living river, and My, I have actually intervened on this. I've sent in a a seven-page intervention with uh, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission um, that says that it, since it didn't come online when it was supposed to on April twenty-second, nineteen seventy-two, they actually a valve was left open, they filled their control room, ruined all their equipment, and a person died, and they weren't able to finish it on time meantime it didn't come out didn't come online for uh, another year. In 1973 we adopted the Clean Water Act, which would make this plant before it came online subject to the Clean Water Act. but none of those none of those uh, landmark decisions were ever imposed on this plant. And how can you license something so cruel and brutal and, and disruptive of a three-state ecosystem, right? Wyndham County, Vermont, Cheshire County, New Hampshire, And Franklin County, Massachusetts are all massively impacted by what this plant does.
8: Carl Meyer, you're a member of the Society of Environmental Journalists. So why would the town of Northfield—I have an article um, that I'm holding that says the Northfield uh, Select Board uh, signs First Light
13: Agreement. Why is Northfield agreeing to this? you got to say, of course, just pure bullying pressure. I mean, the reason— how did, how did the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service agree to what's going on? I mean, the, the, only, the only, and they want to use Northfield even more. They want to increase their, their reservoir, their mountaintop reservoir, by, by what's it, probably 30% and use it even more. And they're denying that that's going to cost the river or the citizenry anything. Northfield signed it. The interesting thing is I had a conversation with uh, John Ward, who was a former gill selectman. And he brought the question up of how can we sign this, this obedience clause, which basically makes us uh, a, a, a lobbyist for, for a, a foreign capital uh, investment you know thing. How can, how can we sign this as a town in good faith?
8: Well, and, I, I want to harken back to something I learned during the, the gas pipeline, the Kinder Morgan pipeline oh, attempt, which was defeated. And what I learned is that FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission— I think it's accurate to say, maybe, Bill, you can help me with this if Carl can't, they have never turned down a relicensing. They always agree. They think that their mission is to promote energy production.
0: Well, they never turned down a relicensing of a nuke. Um. I don't know that FERC has never, never approved any relicensing ever anywhere. I I, w- I do want to know about the fifty-year relicensing, which is what the decision is going to be made. I do want to know what we can do to oppose it. But before we get to that car, what I'd really like to know is what happens to the fish in the river on account of this plant. What happens to the life of the river? How does this adversely affect all of us? That's what I'd really like to know.
13: Well. Um, a river is a living system, right? And we, we, we live on a 410-mile river that's four-state national blueway. When you suck a river to an absolute halt, it no longer can sort of flush out pollutants and silt that should be running downstream. It actually collects it up in Northfield's reservoir. They actually choked on that silk in 2010, and Northfield stopped running for one season. And the amazing thing, here's one, one instance of what happens to the fish. All of a sudden, 800% more fish pass the Turner's Falls Dam when that chaos by that suck and flush and up and down five foot, sometimes nine foot artificial tides in that basin happen. But the other thing that happens, Bill, is when that thing sucks everything backwards, you have juvenile fish of two dozen or more species, their eggs, their larvae, being sucked up into this plant and the scientific Term for that is that there is no expectation for survival in a, in a round-trip run through the turbines, who either, either you will be crushed by the pressure or crushed by the turbines, or when you come back, if you happen to sort of survive that and you grow a little bit in that reservoir, you're sushi on the way back down.
8: We are speaking with environmental journalist uh, Carl Meyer about the Northfield Pumping Station, Um, and the rally that's going to be taking place by the Connecticut River Defenders organization. That rally is going to be above the Northfield Mountain Pumped Storage Project this Saturday at 2 p.m. It's really important that our voices get heard because so far they've been largely stifled. Carl, we're going to be back with you right after these messages.
4: The Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP miss an episode of talk the talk with bill newman and buzz eisenberg want to hear the stories and perspectives of local business leaders click on podcasts at whmp.com talk the talk western mass business show financial fitness with the money doctor the hustler files panorama and more when it's happening here in the valley we're talking about it the only live and local talk in the valley for the valley whmp.com
5: What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman.
0: Local farms are welcoming spring to the co-op. Asparagus popping up and ready to eat in bunches. In the co-op meat department, local chicken from Reed Farm, house-made brats and sausage, everything to kick off grilling season. In the co-op cheese department, welcome the maple season with maple-washed Willoughby, a delicious local cheese washed with Vermont maple liqueur.
5: River Valley Co-op, wild about local. EVERYONE IS WELCOME. For some kids, home isn't a safe place, and in these times, access to trusted adults like teachers and counselors is limited. I'm Kara McElhone, Executive Director of the Children's Advocacy Center of Hampshire County. Our
1: mission is to prevent and end child abuse in our community by providing safety, healing, and justice. The Children's Advocacy Center is open in providing resources to children and caregivers
5: throughout Hampshire County. Please visit us online at CACHampshire.org or call 413-570-5988. Want to make a difference in a big way? Nearly 200 children in Hampshire County are on a waiting list to be matched with adult mentors called Bigs. Children who are matched with mentors through Big Brothers
13: Big Sisters of Hampshire County do better in school, report higher self-confidence,
5: and have better relationships with peers. Start something. Call
7: 413-259-3345. And volunteer or donate to Big Brothers Big Sisters of Hampshire County.
4: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP.
8: And we are continuing our conversation with environmental journalist um, uh, Carl Meyer, and we're talking about uh, First Light, the company that has applied to the Federal Energy uh, Regulatory Commission for a renewal of a 50 year license to operate a facility, the Pumped Storage Station in Northfield, which operates a uh, mountaintop man-made reservoir, which is sucking the Connecticut River backwards for many miles into these large turbines and then releasing the water back into the mountain. Carl was explaining how uh, these actions kill everything in their wake, including fish and larvae and eggs and plants. A river pulled upstream is not a living river, There is going to be a rally this Saturday at 2 p.m. to protest this. The Connecticut River Defenders, who say no license to kill, who say living rivers flow downstream, they are going to be sponsoring this rally, and Carl's here to talk more about it. So, Carl, my my question before was, I don't Mm -hmm. think, my understanding is if the FERC, Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, they solicit public comments, correct? Right. Is there still the opportunity for listeners or uh, others to submit um, their comments about this proposed relicensing?
13: Um, yes, Buzz. Right now, um, there's an open comment period, and, and it seems like it's going to be open for a while. But right now is sort of a critical open comment period. This is when I, I registered my uh, my motion to intervene. But you can you can go to uh, ferc.gov
8: ferc.gov
13: F- F- and you go to e-comments and then you then you need to n- remember this about Northfield and the let's do this twice you remember you need the project number which is capital p-2485
8: Two four eight five capital, capital
13: P two four eight five, and then you can write. Uh, I think you get up to six thousand characters. The other place, I think that uh, I'm, I'm almost positive that the Connecticut River Defenders, who are sort of leading this rally and stuff, um, go to uh, their website. They have a, look. You can look up a Connecticut River Defenders website, and they should have the information there. They've asked me for it several times, so it should be up there. But it's it is a critical time to do this. Um, this process has lasted 11 years. I have been at this 11 years as a stakeholder, as a journalist, as an, an intervener. Um, the power company is making hand over fist money. PSP Investments didn't come here to do anything good for the river. They came here to make money. There, one time they had to, they had to uh, they had to submit during this licensing one year's sales from Northfield Mountain, 159 million dollars. Um, I believe uh, for fisheries and, and uh, improvements on the river for, fift- for the next 50 years, they want to spend something like $150 million. Uh, their, 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 their reach far exceeds whatever they're going to do, and the only thing, they want to operate Northfield more and more deadly. And the only thing that they have suggested is this almost a 1,000-foot-long barrier net that will impact maybe two species, which will be juvenile downstream running uh, migratory shad and uh, adult American eels. There are 24 or more species in that section of river. This plant operates every day at far more uh, suction at 15,000 cubic feet per second than the, I believe, the natural routed flow, sort of yearly average. So across 365 days is 8,900 cubic feet per second. So it's, it's always sucking more out of the river than, than is going in naturally.
8: Carl, during our uh, conversations in the past and today, in preparation for today, I realized I never asked you the question I really want to ask you. It's a bit of a personal question. So let why me. Go ahead, Buzz. Well, for over a decade. I'll
13: teach you. Sure, why not?
8: Now, for for over a decade, you. The science of what goes on up in Northfield Pumped Storage Station has uh, concerned you to the point that you've made it a mission that uh, for many, your name is synonymous with Fighting First Light's dreadful pumping station. And um, you keep trying to get the message out to people like me who learned about it, who learned the science of it from you. And yet, It doesn't seem like people in the numbers that you wish are expressing their outrage as you believe they should be about this nonsense. It doesn't promote the environment. It doesn't help our energy. It doesn't do anything It makes profit and kills uh, flora and fauna. So why do you think people aren't more responsive? And what do you have to say to them to make them more responsive to the need for them to, to express their outrage?
13: Yeah, Boz, you put it pretty well. I think I've been been doing writing about the Connecticut River almost exclusively for almost a quarter of a century. But, you know, the last 15 years is the river is broken, the river is broken, it's Northfield, it's Northfield. I think people um, have been left with the wrong impression that um, there are now two conservancies operating on the Connecticut River. The Nature Conservancy signed this grim deal, and the Connecticut River Watershed Council became the Connecticut River Conservancy a few years ago. But they have been taking money from Northeast Utilities and First Light and and the federal U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and uh, uh, National Marine Fisheries, I believe, and Mass Division for all these years to do their stuff. So if you're taking money from both of the the, the the main interests in this, you're not gonna you're not gonna rat out the fisheries agencies for not doing their job, and you're not gonna and if you don't have a mission statement that says, we go to court and we prosecute, and you're a 71-year-old organization like the Connecticut River Conservancy is, and you never stood up against Northfield, and you don't talk about a reversed river, and the death machine it is, that's why people are complacent, because what we've heard about is the recreation agreement, and and you know, how we're gonna do stuff below the dam, but you don't talk about the sup because then you'd have to act on it. Then you'd have to find your way into a courtroom. And I think that's maybe what the Connecticut River defenders are, are sort of looking for. I wish somebody would step up and say, oh, hey Carl, you have a great motion to intervene here. I'd like to represent you or, or represent the defenders. But that's, you know, I, I, I you can't, you can't underestimate the massive power of a $40 billion corporation to put out its business releases that say how green we are, and the, the power of their D.C. lawyers that can just brutally sort of separate these little towns and our little Franklin County, Wyndham County, and Cheshire County and say, you sign this agreement because this is all we're going to offer you.
0: When's the agreement going to be, uh, not the agreement, when is the FERC going to make this decision? How, and, and what is the process between now and then in addition to this protest?
13: The process between now and then, there's a deadline coming up for every, for, uh, for public comments, but then the FERC is gonna do uh, uh, an environmental uh, impact analysis on this thing. And there's also another piece that's coming on that's been pushed by, by uh, the Conservancy and stuff, but it's all about the downstream stuff in, in the main part. It's about downstream of Turner's Falls Dam. When the killer, the murderer, is upstream at Northfield, but that'll probably take another year, Bill. Um, you know, so that process is going to keep it open. But the real ugly part of this is the power company works; they, they, they profit either way. They're five years beyond their license. They've been raking it in, they've been spending money in the New York bite. They, they just opened a uh, uh, what they call a, a, a green energy uh, sort of um, investment corporation for 93 million. And they've they, they've they've bought up uh, plants, uh, power plants in in Pennsylvania, and they're taking it. basically, they didn't come here to be green. They're just taking plants that, that that have always been sort of real hydro plants, not like a pump storage station. And then they're going to claim that oh, here we are saving the environment, and they are they're just a finance company.
8: In the minute we have left, environmentalist Carl Meyer, tell us how people get to the rally on Saturday at two o'clock. Where's it going to be? and uh, who's sponsoring it, and why people should go.
13: All right, well, thanks, Buzz. Um, Yeah, I'm grateful for the Connecticut River defenders for for inviting me to speak. Um, It is gonna be up uh, at the intersection of Pine Meadow Road and Ferry Road in Northfield. It's it's the road on Route 63 that's almost opposite the entrance to the Northfield Mountain Recreation Center. And it's gonna be down at that intersection. So you go to Northfield Recreation Center, you, you basically, you head down that little road to the river, um, it's going to be at 2 p.m. on Saturday. Um, there's a, they have put together a, a nice lineup of people. Deb Katz from Citizens Awareness Network, Vermont Yankee Fight, Roe Yankee Fight, is going to be there. Ann Spaulding, who's, who's a, a diver on the Connecticut River and has done some archaeological dives and petroglyph stuff is going to be there. Um, Liz Coldwind-Santana Kaiser, Nipmuc Preservation uh, uh, um, Representative, is going to talk Raging Grannies, are you familiar with the Raging Grannies? Uh, Tom Nielsen and, and Kate O'Connor are going to do some music. Um, you can bring a picnic lunch. It's supposed to be a beautiful day, so I hope people come up there, and it's time to defend this river. Another 50 years of this is not the river that we should be handing up to our the people coming after us.
8: 2 o'clock this Saturday. It's an important rally to attend. And don't forget to go to the website of Connecticut River Defenders and learn how your public comments can get to FERC about this dreadful relicensing proposal. We're going to take a break. We're going to be right back. We're going to be talking neuroscience right after this.
4: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.
7: For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Leaders of the Bombeck Center for Arts and Equity and the Florence Congregational Church plan to appeal the Northampton Fire Department's decision to classify their shared church and venue space as a nightclub in order to reopen in time for this weekend. The designation as a nightclub comes with a slew of fire safety and accessibility upgrades, the most urgent of which was installing a sprinkler system. Bombeck's co-founder, Kyle Homestead.
10: This is going to very quickly crush our organization and put an end to Bombex.
7: Whether Bombex will be allowed to reopen this weekend in time for its scheduled events is unclear. Following the failed East Hampton superintendent search, some residents have officially begun the formal process to recall Chairperson Cynthia Kwasinski. Last Thursday, East Hampton City Clerk Barbara Lombard confirmed she had certified 400 signatures for the effort to move forward. In order for the recall process to continue, they will need to reach 2,517 signatures by June 8th. On the affidavit, some of the listed reasons for the recall include being unresponsive, sending police to someone's home to make a job offer at midnight, unprofessional behavior, meeting minutes made unavailable, and refusing to move to hybrid meetings. Police are investigating after a pedestrian was injured during a hit-and-run on Damon Road in Northampton around 2 p.m. yesterday afternoon. According to police, the pedestrian was walking along the crosswalk when a truck pulling a landscape trailer hit the pedestrian and left the area. The pedestrian was taken to the hospital and is expected to be okay.
9: Sun cloud mixed today with some showers and thunderstorms arriving after three o'clock, a high of 74 to 78 chance for a lingering shower this evening, but most of the rain is out of here by eight o'clock clearing overnight, a low of 38 to 44. Mostly sunny on Thursday, a high of 64 to 68 Memorial Day weekend looks dry and mild. I'm 22 news storm team meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP.
4: It's your home for the resistance. Tom Hartman, weekdays at noon. Get informed, then get involved. I'm Tom Hartman from the Tom Hartman program, intelligent talk, opinion, and debate. Join me every weekday, noon to three, right here on WHMP. 101.5, 1400, and 1240, WHMP.
11: You take a classic like Caesar salad and start to mess with it, that could get you into trouble. Things could go wrong. The Caesar salad at Paul and Elizabeth's is a radical departure from the classic Caesar. And fortunately, in this case, things have gone rather right. Paul and Elizabeth's restaurant, a Caesar salad unlike any other, with romaine or kale or both, with balsamic onion, roasted red peppers, capers, smoked salmon, and the crowning touch, toasty hot polenta croutons.
7: You love your car, we all do. It's part of our DNA. If your vehicle gets into an accident, the people to turn to are the collision experts at Fort Hill Collision Services in Amherst. Fort Hill lets you leave your concerns at the door. They'll fix your vehicle to better than factory standards and deal with your insurance company from start to finish. Fort Hill is locally owned and operated. They're part of the community, and they guarantee the work they do every time. Trust Fort Hill Collision Services, Route 9, Amherst, and online at forthillcs.com.
4: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP.
8: And welcome back to the show. One of the real benefits of living in this area, we, we all talk about the five college system that we have here. We have so many experts on so many important things um, uh, right in our uh, neighborhood right here. It's cutting edge research that's being done all the time. It really impacts nationally, internationally, but also uh, for those of us who want to continue the learning that uh, we should be doing for the for our entire lives. It provides a great opportunity. And and with us today is Dr. Paul Katz, who's a professor of biology at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst and the director of the Initiative on Neurosciences. And there's going to be a conference uh, that's going to be happening on the 31st of May, uh, right at the university, uh, called the Interdisciplinary Neurosciences Conference. Uh, Dr. Paul Katz, thank you so much for being with us. That's my pleasure. I'm going to start with a really complicated question mm-hmm. What is neuroscience?
2: Well, neuroscience is the study of the brain and the nervous system. The brain is part of the nervous system, obviously. Um, the brain is the most complicated organ in our bodies. Um, there are more different cell types in the brain than there are in anything else. So if you think of like a liver, liver is big, but it's just basically a couple of cell types. And the brain has thousands of different cell types. And the numbers of neurons in the human brain is 10 to the 11th. That's a, one, a 10 with 11 zeros afterwards. That's how many neurons. And then each of those neurons is making about 1,000 different connections. So, we're trying to, the goal, one of the goals of neuroscience is, of course, to try to understand how that works, but it has many implications. Everything, everything that you're experiencing right now is because of your brain. Wow. All of your thoughts, ideas, memories, they're all in there.
8: I can't help but look at the theme of your conference, which is coming up on the 31st, which is the neuroscience of aging. Wow. Now, you know, by way of admission, I'm in my 70s. I know my knee isn't what it was and my fingers aren't what they were and uh, my eyes aren't what they were. How's my brain doing?
2: Well, that's the thing. They're, your brain ages like the rest of your body. Um, and so I'm starting to feel it myself. I'm in my 60s. <laughs> and so we, just, we lose things that we used to be able to do. But at the same time, we also gain things that we never did before. So I feel... You know, I feel wiser than I did when I was in my 20s. So I, my students, I always tell this to my students, you have a greater capacity to learn, but I know more than you. Mm. So I have the built experience of a lifetime, and they are gaining it. You know, a two-year-old is, is, has more capacity to learn than you do. I mean, you think about it, you put a baby in any environment in the world, and they will learn that language in, in less than two years. And it's just incredible. I can't do that. You can't do that. We have to spend an incredible amount of time. We adopted our daughter for, from Guatemala, and she was two years old when she came home. In six months, I passed freshman Spanish, and she was fluent. <laughs> of course.
0: So could you go back for us a bit and explain what aging does to the brain?
2: Yeah, I wish I knew completely. Um, so there, You've are forgotten f- it because you got older. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Um, we don't know everything. We're, that's, that's part of the reason for doing this. I mean, we know that there are neurodegenerative diseases um, that affect... Like um, Alzheimer's. Like Alzheimer's, like Parkinson's disease. Um, there are a number of diseases that, that appear later in life. And in fact, many of them are human-specific. So other animals don't... There is no other animal that gets Alzheimer's disease. There's no other animal that gets Parkinson's disease. These are consequences of our longevity but they're also consequences of our large brains and so getting a large brain evolutionarily went with the problems that are associated with a large brain that other animals don't have
8: wow i want to go back to this conference and bill's question uh, we could i could spend days uh focused on you could spend bill's a semester question. actually <laughs> does that right and it sounds like you've spent a whole career trying to answer those questions you have keynote speakers that look really impressive. Um, Rebecca Thurston is going to be speaking at this conference from the University of Pittsburgh um, on Of Hearts and Brains, Menopause and Midlife Women's Health. And Beth Stevens from Harvard University is going to pre- present on how, and I don't even know how to pronounce it, micro... micro Michael, there you go. Um,
2: so could you explain what what are they going to be talking about and what do you expect to learn? Right, so we brought in two people that are actually on opposite spectrums. So, so um, Rebecca Thurston works with, you know, on, on menopause itself. And so that's obviously a condition of, of later age and it, for women. Um, and we had discovered, so, in talking with faculty at UMass, we had found that, identified that, that actually aging and, and, and women's issues with regard to neuroscience were a strength that we have in, on our faculty. From a variety of different areas, so we have researchers, and one of the speakers is, is um, Stephanie Padilla, who's in the biology department, colleague of mine, and she's working on hot flashes. What is the neural basis for getting hot flashes? There's actually a mechanism that causes that to happen physiologically, and it's part of, and it happens through the brain. Um, we also have Lynette S- um, Sievert speaking, who's in the anthropology department, and she studies aspects of of menopause um, as a cultural aspect. So we're looking at this. So there's a, there's, there is a group of faculty that meet t- together that actually just study menopause. So that's, that's a thing. Um, then Beth Stevens, who's coming from Harvard, she's at the other end because she's at the cellular end. She's, she's looking at cellular mechanisms that underlie aspects of aging. So microglia um, are a cell type in the brain that are not neurons. Uh, they are an immune cell, so they are working through the brain to help keep it keep it healthy.
0: Can we could we go back to something really basic, please? We all see cells die and are and are regrown. I mean, look at uh, what happens to our skin. What is that? What happens in the brain as well? No, and
2: that's kind of an amazing thing. Um, thank you for bringing that up. So yes, first of all, just the fact that we heal is incredible. Like the idea that you can cut yourself and that that thing comes back together like it's, <laughs> or <you> It just <laughs> happened to me. A bad
8: cut and it's already healed two All days right. later.
2: That's just an amazing ability that life has that, that, that somehow it goes back to the way it was. We don't know how to do that. Design machines that do that uh, but the brain unfortunately for the most part the, the nerve cells, the neurons that you were born with are the ones that you're going to that you have right now they are the longest-lived cells in your body. The
0: neurons that are in our brain when we're born are with us 70 years later. Yes. Should we live that long? Yes. Wow. Right. Did we grow new neurons along the way? A few, but mostly you lost neurons. Oh, and we were doing so well. I no, right? no, no, no. We had kept, kept thing. them, and now, now you come with the bad news. So okay.
2: babies have a lot more neurons than you do, and that's because it's part of the pruning process. So imagine trying to grow a bush exactly the right way the first time, the, the way that you do is you let it grow and then you prune it back. And that's what, that's what happens in the, in the nervous system of, a, of an infant.
8: Well, I remember, Dr. Paul Katz, I remember hearing that an infant, it's about brain uh, pathways, mm-hmm. I think, is what I remember, uh, to the extent that I remember anything. Uh, and I hear about synapses that open or don't open, and as we get older, we the pathways, we, start, we stop at some point, creating new pathways so that it's harder to learn, and synapses don't open. Can, can you explain that phenomenon to both
2: Bill and I? Because we're both very curious about this. So a synapse is the connection between two neurons. So again, a neuron is a cell, and, and these, are very, these, these are cells that live for your entire life, which again is different than any other type of cell in your body. You don't have the same skin cells you were born with. You don't have the same hair cells you were born with. None of these other cells live your whole life. Um, they communicate with each other at these points of contact called synapses, and they release a chemical uh, neurotransmitter like acetylcholine, serotonin, dopamine, um, glut- glutamate, GABA. Uh, these, are all neuro- these are all chemicals that are released by neurons, and then they, they impact proteins in the membrane of the next neuron, and that's the synapse. So The
0: synapse is the connector between the neurons?
2: The synapse is the, is the, is the name of the place where the two talk. So there's a, the neuron that is doing the talking, and then there's the neuron that's doing the listening. And so the talking neuron is releasing the chemical, and the listening neuron is receiving that chemical.
8: Okay. I think my neurons argue with each other a lot. That's what I
2: think. <laughs> this is an interesting point, is how do you even have a coherent thought? It's, it's, this is the biggest mystery of neuroscience right now, is how do you go from electrical activity in the brain to release of neurochemicals to thought? There is a big gap, and I, this is the thing that fascinates me the most right now. The, 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 the neuroscientists do not have an explanation for this. So we are at a point in history right now, if you were to look back at the past, it's really easy to point and say, oh, those silly people of the 1800s, they didn't know about flying machines. You know, it's so easy to say that they didn't understand this, they didn't understand that it's really hard to look at yourself and say, what don't we understand right now? What are the future people gonna look back at us and say, oh, they're so silly, they didn't understand that this is where thought comes from.
8: It's incredible. Uh, The thing that the the human brain can understand so much except the human brain.
2: Well, that's not true. I don't think it's a limitation. I do not think we cannot understand the human brain. That's like saying we cannot fly. We have not understood the human brain at this point. We understand a lot about the human brain. The one thing, and it's not just the human brain. It's thought. I'm, this is not specific to humans. My dog thinks. My dog is aware of itself.
0: Oh, all dog owners think that about their dogs. Yeah. They probably think you uh, talk to uh, them too,
2: right? Tell me you're not a cat owner.
0: No, I'm not. No, <laughs> I, no, no, I love dogs. I, I'm okay with cats. I've, uh, but, but animals do animal brains work essentially the same as human well,
2: brains? Well, the, so humans are animals. Okay. So oh. humans did not were're not specially created. We don't have the special abilities. Everything that we find in biology is consistent across other species. However, each species does things that others don't have. And one of the things that humans do is we have developed this amazingly large cortex, and we have the ability to communicate with language, as we're doing right now. This is, this is the essential adaptation that, that, that caused humans to have this incredible cultural diversity that we now see.
8: Wow, we are going to continue our conversation with Dr. Paul Katz, a professor of biology at UMass, the director of the Initiative on Neurosciences. We're going to keep our brains operating right after these messages. We'll be right back.
4: This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Emotions and experiences play an important role in our financial decision-making. Every Saturday morning, hear real-life stories and positive solutions to issues we all face when it comes to our relationship with money. Financial fitness with the money doctor, Francis Rayham Saturday mornings at 830 on 101.5, 1400, and 1240, WHMP.
5: Banking with Greenfield Savings Bank is about to get more rewarding. This June, we're introducing YouChoose Rewards, a new debit card rewards program that rewards you every time you use your GSB Debit MasterCard. YouChoose Rewards is free, and with YouChoose Rewards, you'll earn points that can be redeemed for dining, shopping, traveling, cashback, donations, and more. Link your GSV debit card with your mobile wallet, including Apple Pay, Google Pay, Samsung Pay, or PayPal. It's easy to start earning YouChoose Rewards. After June 1st, just go to our website and sign up for YouChoose Rewards for your GSV debit MasterCard. It's free. All you need to do is sign up. So mark your calendar and sign up your Greenfield Savings Bank Debit Mastercard for You Choose Rewards after June 1st, and start earning You Choose Rewards every time you use your GSB Debit Mastercard.
9: You Choose Rewards, the free Debit Mastercard rewards program, coming to Greenfield Savings Bank this June. Member FDIC, member DIF. Learn more at greenfieldsavings.com/youchoose.
2: At Mountain
5: View Farm in East Hampton, we have been growing beautiful, certified organic produce exclusively for our farm share members since we started, and we have been voted best local CSA in the Valley for the last 15 years running.
9: Included in your weekly pickup, you can also enjoy our field of you-pick flowers and herbs all season long, and you can shop in our farm store, which features many wonderful local products.
5: We offer shares for all size households.
9: Sign
0: up at mountainviewfarmcsa.com.
4: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP.
8: And we are back in our conversation with Professor Paul Katz of the biology department at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst and the director of the Initiative on Neurosciences. And there is going to be a 2023 interdisciplinary neuroscience conference at the university. The theme is the neuroscience of aging. We've been talking about the brain. We can't talk about the brain without talking about Intelligence, and I think we can't talk about intelligence without talking about what people call artificial intelligence (AI). During the break, you and Bill were engaged in a conversation. Bill, um, would you posit what you posited for the professor?
0: Yeah, I'll I'll give a heads up here. The professor thinks I don't know what I'm talking about, (laughs) so let's 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 be clear about that at the beginning. I think that artificial intelligence is doing something significantly different than the usual computer program. And you told me, Professor, that, well, how to put this. You're wrong, but explain why I am.
2: Well, it is a computer program. And it has- well, that's, it, a, that's a basic, that's, follow, a, that's a good it start. It follows <laughs> rules, and those rules are, are in the program. Those rules, it, it continues to follow those rules for a longer period of time. In embedded, so it looks kind of like it's come up with something, but it's still following the same rules. That yeah, were I don't mean to interrupt,
8: then. but I want to just set the, the, the table here. What Bill was talking about is the ability of AI, artificial intelligence, to sort of create something new that wasn't necessarily inputted into right. it. So it sort of has an intelligence, albeit an artificial one. Is that right, Bill? Is that what you were contending?
0: Yeah, I mean, you've got, it's the difference between a computer program that will add and subtract To a computer program that will
2: do create its own computational systems but it's looking it it is recognizing patterns so you already have this autocomplete you know the word will tell you if something is spelled wrong it'll mark google will complete your sentences for you that's artificial intelligence it's just going to the next step of of adding the next sentence and the next sentence and the next sentence but it already was finishing your sentences for you really well It was kind of bothering me, actually, when I when I write on Google and then it's like talking to somebody that finishes your sentences for you. And I try to find a better way to end it um, that it can't predict. And it's hard. Dan, you are fascinated with data science.
8: Uh, I am Uh, mainly
1: because reading the news, you hear a lot of people who are in the A.I. field talk about the potential dangers. Here I'm talking about the former uh, founder of uh, Google. Uh, Eric Schmidt and uh, Elon Musk and other people involved in this area are talking about we need a pause and all of this. But I'm hearing a more positive
10: spin from you, and I just want you to well, kind of address that.
2: It is an incredibly disruptive technology. There's no question about that. It is really disruptive, and that's where the fear comes from because it will change things. There's no question that our lives will not be the same 20 years from now because of this. Mm. But that's true of the car. Right. Right. It's true of the, the telephone. Airplane. Airplane. Yeah. All of this has disrupted human life
1: so so how how well uh, are humans prepared to adapt to these uh, incoming changes
4: i mean it seems like we've adapted to those relatively well no i disagree no?
2: with that part. okay tell I think, me i don't i don't think we adapted well to the car look at the chaos it's caused our cities are are destroyed you know we have so much people you know we're, we're causing global warming there's all sorts of things that happened it was a disruptive technology and we're still paying the consequences but you're absolutely right we adapted in the sense that we don't even notice mm. we don't even notice that it didn't used to always be this way and the students that are coming along right now I, I think for one thing our kids are going our grandkids are gonna look back and say, they let you drive a car? That is so dangerous. Thirty thousand people a year are dying because people drove cars. With gasoline in it? Right. Right. So we get used to the way things are and not the way things were. And this is gonna be true for AI. I think that we're gonna get use it. It's a tool. But AI will end up
0: writing a story that was not input it to it it will create something new isn't that different in some way
2: how bet worse is that than a person that creates a story that's not true um i'm not sure it's worse or better but it's it's a computer
0: doing something that computers five or ten years ago didn't do absolutely it's different oh good we
2: Disruptive. agree, we agree? i got different. i got i got partial, you got points. Credit, partial credit okay <laughs> you're absolutely right it's not it, this did not happen five ten years ago it Damn. is amazing Do you smell synapses burning in here? Uh,
8: Yeah, some of them. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we only have uh, two minutes uh, left. In the two minutes, what would you like to leave listeners with in terms of neuroscience, in terms of neuroscience of aging? Um, Could you give us a summary?
2: Well, let me just say, first of all, with regard to AI, is that that is now allowing new diagnostic tools, and that's what two of the speakers at this conference are going to be talking about: is how we can use artificial intelligence to find patterns. That that the computers are actually better at picking up than we are, and so we're looking to diagnose Alzheimer's earlier, um, looking for ways of intervening so we can help people. So I think again, this is a this is a tool that is going to be used. It's going to be people are going to adapt to it. It's going to be um, part of our lives. It is part of our lives, uh, for better or worse. And I do agree that every tool can be used for. For, pe- for hurting people, it could be used for benefiting people. And I think understanding the brain, understanding how the brain um, health-wise, but also just understanding the basic biology of the brain and how it relates in other animals to us is going to be beneficial. Knowledge is always good.
8: Knowledge is always good. Dr. Paul Katz, I'm going to put you on the spot. Will you return... And continue our conversation. I would love to. Uh, We would love to have you. There is a conference. um, If you are a member of the faculty, a postdoctoral student, a graduate, an undergraduate student, staff of five colleges, this is a conference you should not be missing. It's Neuroscience of Aging. If we're lucky, we're all going to do it. Uh, And neuroscience (laughs) is a part of all of our, we all have brains. And uh, hopefully we'll use them to learn more about our brains. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Paul Katz.
2: Thank you for having me.
8: And listeners, thank you so much for joining us on Talk to Talk. Like Paul Katz, we're all trying to walk the walk.
4: it's happening here in the valley we're talking about it
5: we have a very unique and lethal combination of emboldened white supremacy in this country and unfettered access to guns we need to keep talking about the intersection
6: of white supremacy and guns guns are used in order to you know elicit fear and power and control uh, by white supremacists and it's not an issue that's going away easily
4: 1015 1400 and 1240 we are the valley we are whmp
1: Imagine working hard for so many years and reaching your retirement only to find out there's an issue with your pension or 401k. Unfortunately, it's a problem too many Americans face. The New England Pension Assistance Project can help you get the benefits you've earned by providing free legal help. Contact the New England Pension Assistance Project at 888-425-6067 or visit them online at pensionhelp.org slash newengland. A public service from the U.S. Administration on Aging's Pension Counseling and Information Program.
4: WHMP.